The Land Bulletin Podcast is sponsored by the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. CCALT was founded in 1995 to conserve Colorado's Western heritage and working landscapes for the benefit of future generations. Since then, the Land Trust has partnered with nearly 400 families to conserve more than 705,000 acres of farm and ranch land in Colorado. CCALT continues to deliver conservation solutions for Colorado's working lands. Welcome to the Land Bulletin Podcast, where we discuss a wide range of topics impacting landowners, ranchers, and future land buyers. I'm your host, Haley Murr. Over the past year, Colorado has seen a substantial increase in new conservation easements across the state. Today, we revisit my chat in May 2022 with the founder of Murr Ranch Group, Ken Murr, and special guest, the Executive Director of Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, Eric Glenn where we discussed these latest developments and walked through what ranchers and landowners need to know about placing a conservation easement on their property. In part one of a two-part series, Ken and Eric walk us through the history of conservation in Colorado and why conservation easements are an effective tool for ranchers and landowners. Hi everyone, it's Haley Murr again. Uh, Welcome back to our Lay of the Land series. Um, I'm the director of operations at Murr Ranch Group, and every week, other week, we're going to discuss the ranch and sporting property market, buying and selling advice, and the latest best stewardship practices, as well as topics currently impacting landowners across the West. Murr Ranch Group, for those of you who this is your first time tuning in, is a full-service ranch real estate brokerage and consulting company focusing on legacy ranches, sporting, and conservation properties around the West. And today, one of the most important things that our clients face is conservation issues and uh, conservation benefits. So today we're going to be talking about conservation in Colorado and what ranchers and landowners should know going into the process of purchasing a property. Thank you to everyone once again for submitting your questions. We'll try to get them on this broadcast, but please feel free to keep asking them during this session. If we don't get to all of them during this podcast, we will uh, answer all your questions after this. Helping me, as always, today is the founder of Murr Ranch Group, Ken Murr. Ken uh, is a board member of Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, and beyond that, has been a longtime contributor to conservation in Colorado for over 20 years, since I was even, uh, we taught at uh, a couple different organizations, so I've, I've grown up with it too, but without further ado, here's Ken. Hello. How are you? Hey. Hello. <laughs> I'm good. So Ken is actually tuning in from Fort Myers, Florida. How is it down there? Uh, good. Uh, you know, the, the Southeast office is alive and well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> good. Glad yeah. to have you on board Thank as you. always. Um, and in addition to Ken, we're also going to be joined by one of our dear friends uh, and the executive director of Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. Eric Glenn. Um, Eric Glenn has led Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust into being one of probably the best land trusts in Colorado. Um, They have, I think, they cover more ground than any other land trust in the state, if I'm correct, Ken. Um, And then beyond that, 
Um, they also received the Land Trust Alliance Excellence Award in 2017 by the Land Trust Alliance. So he's really done a really incredible job. And who better to talk to us about conservation than Eric Glenn? So without further ado, here's Eric. <laughs> Hi, how are you? We're great. How are you doing? Doing well. I wish I was in Florida uh, and you could send some of that rain uh, west, Ken. We yeah, I've got some baggies out there. I'll be putting them on the plane tomorrow. So we're, we're good. <laughs> okay. Eric, thanks for joining. And yes, Eric and I go way back. He's been engaged with the land trust for, for a long time. And I'm on the board with him. You know, he's my leader. So I, I look up to him and he takes me through the ins and outs of conservation, not just in Colorado, but all over the place. And he's actually been instrumental in setting up and helping foster uh, land trust and, and uh, conservation organizations in other states throughout the West. So congrats there, Eric. Thanks for all that you do. Well, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to the discussion. Awesome. Well, I guess what we'll kind of start this discussion with is the history of conservation in Colorado and in a broader sense, just what a conservation easement actually is. Because a lot of you know, we talk, we hear conservation, we hear conservation easements, but I think a lot of the people tuning in would love to know a little more about what a conservation easement actually is. So I guess, Eric, do you want to take it first? And Sure. Well, and, and when we talk about conservation today, we'll mostly focus on conservation easements, uh, which is a very specific tool within the conservation tool bag, uh, which is, is pretty broad. Uh, but you know, I think we first have to start by recognizing that our agricultural producers uh, and our landowners that steward private lands are are the true stewards, the true conservationists. And regardless of whether or not they do conservation easements or not, they're all uh, applying some conservation measures on their properties in that stewardship on a on a daily basis. And in we are so blessed in, in Colorado and throughout the West to have these landowners who take great pride and have great passion in, in stewarding these lands and we all benefit from it. And so I think we need to just start and level set with that. And then we can talk about kind of the history of this formal conservation and, and specifically conservation easements in Colorado, which goes back to the 1970s. And uh, when the enabling statute for conservation easements first showed up in, in, in the Colorado revised statutes. And then as we moved forward uh, throughout the last four decades, five decades, we've seen conservation and conservation easements expand uh, significantly. I think in the 19, late 1970s was when the first easement was done in Colorado. I think there was probably a dozen or so in the 80s and then in the in the late 90s it really kind of took off as landowners recognized that easements could be a tool to help them with estate planning and it could be a tool to help keep agriculture uh, at scale in a state that was quickly developing and and that scale piece is important for agriculture because once you start losing scale then uh, your uh, scale of agriculture then your your input costs go up, it makes it more difficult to operate. And easements have been a good tool in Colorado uh, that enable us to keep scale. And uh, that's really important. And so your second question about 
what is an easement. Simply put, it's a deed restriction on okay. land that um, uh, restricts what certain types of things you can do. Uh, and mostly if you're talking about a working lands conservation easement, which is what we focus on, uh, you're talking about restricting where you can put uh, improvements and, and, and it's mostly to do with major improvements. So houses, uh, large barns, uh, riding arenas, stuff like that. Minor agricultural structures like uh, windmills, uh, stock tanks, you can put those uh, within a working lands easement wherever you want. There's no limitation on those things. What we're really trying to do uh, through a conservation easement on an agricultural property is focus the major improvements uh, in existing, where the existing major improvements are, and, and maybe one or two other locations if the landowner so desires, and also keeping that property as a single unit. Uh, in most instances. Yeah, so to your point, I guess, are all conservation easements written the same, a little different? You said you guys work with working conservation easements. I know there's some that are else that are out there, um, but are they all kind of created equal or are there a lot of caveats that buyers and sellers should be aware of? Even before that, I mean, there's such a history though, too. I mean, when he was talking yeah. about Colorado, and I mean, these, these easements historically go way back too. I mean, from East Coast yeah. and things that migrated and ideas of land conservation that weren't necessarily always associated with working landscapes either, Eric, probably, right? A little open space. And there's different reasons why easements were created in some respect. But I, I guess always going back to the idea that it is a deed restriction, but it's a, a kind of a deed restriction that you get some benefits from doing so beyond uh, just putting it in a deed. Now, now you've got some other things that we'll talk about. but I, And that goes into now, as you kind of talk about what are they all created equal? Because many times we have a client, you know, saying, oh, there's an easement on it. I don't like them because it, you know, it, it takes this, this, and this away. Well, you know, you got to read it, right? right? So, Yeah, I skipped over probably about 150 years of conservation history across <laughs> the country, but uh, yeah, we wanted to focus on really on Colorado. And I, I would argue, you know, we've kind of perfected working lands conservation easements uh, here at, uh, at Colorado Cattlemen's over the last 20, 27 years that we've been in, in existence. But all easements um, are, are, each easement's unique. And that's what is important for landowners to understand as you're looking at this tool is that it is a document that you're going to negotiate with the easement holder and potentially with some other partners that might be involved as well. But there are template easements and there are organizations that uh, will simply use a template organization and say, here, you know, here's that template and we're not going to change uh, much about it. And that's where it's beholden upon landowners to really pick their partners wisely and, and mm -hmm. do their due diligence. If you're going to go down this uh, road, there's a lot of options out there and you can find the right option for you as a landowner and what your needs and, and wants and goals and, and, and objectives are. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really important to understand is we can, uh, within certain um, parameters, we can, we can create as much or as a little flexibility in that easement as, as you as a landowner want. Now, the more flexibility you want, in that easement for the future, the less value that easement is going to create. The more 
restrictive the easement is, the more value it creates. And so there's a balance for landowners uh, that we that we work with as we move through kind of facilitating these transactions. I think an important point though, and there's a lot of misinformation about easements and there's a lot of misinformation right now about easements that's circulating around that if you do an easement that you're giving your land to the federal government and that is is just completely uh, unfounded and, and there's an, a belief out there that if you do an easement and let's say you're a, a rancher and you ranch and you run black angus cattle that you have to uh you'll have to run black Angus cattle for the rest of perpetuity. And right. again, it's just not the, not the case. These uh, easements, if particularly uh, when done right, they really don't get into management. Easements are really a durability tool, meaning they're about keeping uh, land intact to either be productive agricultural land, to be uh, wildlife habitat, uh, to be open space, protect scenic viewscapes. They're not meant to say you landowner have to manage in a certain way because they're perpetual documents. It would be absolutely uh, wrong headed to put perspective, prescriptive management practices in a perpetual document. Now, that's not to say right. that doesn't happen. It does happen on occasion. And again, that's where you got to pick your partner, right? Right. And I mean, I guess, you know, as you were, Ken was even alluding to, there's been conservation easements throughout, you know, the 150 years that you skipped. <laughs> but what, why has it become so effective in Colorado? Like what has Colorado done to make it so that it is such a benefit to landowners? Uh, the biggest thing we've done in Colorado is, is create uh, incentives uh, around conservation. So Coloradans have for, I think, uh, going back to statehood have identified themselves with the natural resources of the state. It's kind of who we are as people. It's who this state is. It's how we're largely defined. And, and because of that, we want to maintain that. And we want to maintain that for future generations. And in a, in a lar in a one way to do that is to incentivize landowners to voluntarily conserve their lands uh, for future generations. And we have the most robust set of conservation incentives in the country. We have Great Outdoors Colorado, which is, takes lottery proceeds in the state and applies them to uh, helping purchase uh, conservation easements on working lands and, and other lands across the state. We have a state tax credit, and, and this tax credit is actually transferable, meaning if you don't have a lot of state income tax liability, you can sell that credit to another taxpayer uh, and, and get cash from that, which is which is really important for, uh, for farmers and ranchers, but it's also a nice incentive for other landowners uh, in the state as well. Mm -hmm. And those two funding sources are unique to Colorado. There's, there's only, I think, three other states in the country that have a transferable tax credit. There's no state in the country that has such a robust lottery funding program as what GOCO is. Um, there's some other states that where a percentage of lottery proceeds will go to open space and natural resource conservation. But in Colorado, a vast majority of it goes here. And then we have the other national incentives that, that exist and that you can largely utilize anywhere in the country. That's federal farm bill programs. Uh, there are programs within the U.S. Department of Interior, uh, 
specifically through U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and some other uh, agencies, uh, resource agencies under that branch of government. And then we also have state and local, or sorry, uh, county uh, and municipal open space programs. So throughout Colorado, there are several counties that have open space funding programs. Uh, Route County, Steamboat Springs area is probably the most well-known uh, in this space. Uh, it's been around for almost 25 years and it's done some incredible work uh, in the Ampa Valley. But all the Front Range counties uh, from kind of the state line of Wyoming down to New Mexico largely have these programs. And then most of the resort communities will have open space programs too. So when you put all that together, there's just tool. a lot of a huge tool, a lot of opportunities for landowners who are interested in continuing that legacy of stewardship to be able to do that uh, instead of having to look just towards selling off parcels of their land to uh, to find extra cash flow. The old back 40 scenario, right? right. Sell off the back 40, which I realize that's where it came from, right? It was the idea to create income. You know, as you talk about those things too, Eric, I, I think about, we do have a robust, robust program in Colorado compared to other places like I'll go into, you know, players like uh, places like Arizona, for instance, and there's hardly any incentive, you know, within the state other than some of the federal tax. But even with all the incentives, um, you know, I, I kind of learned a long time ago, too, you still have to have some charitable intent. You still, right. When you when you approach these things, because, you know, they're in perpetuity. And that's the whole idea. There has to be some charitable intent. Do you still agree with that concept behind these? I would, I would tell you that every landowner we work with that does conservation and they do it voluntarily, it's not at its essence about the financial elements. Uh, it is about the other components. It is about the legacy that those families have had. In some cases, the day back 100 plus years on that same parcel, and they want to ensure that that will continue in that fashion and that's what that's what drives them to do it the financial incentives are really just there to you know as a as a way to say uh, i think for the public to say what you're doing and what you've done for the last hundred and plus years is is valuable to us as the public and we have never as the public, we've never fully compensated landowners for all the things they do that we benefit from. We compensate them through the commodity that they raise. It might be crops, it might be livestock, but all the other things that they do and they provide back to the citizens of this state and the citizens of the country, we, we have never, the general public has never compensated landowners for those things. And so really, I think when you look at conservation, landowners are doing it because they love the land. They love what they do. They want that that kind of tradition and that legacy to continue, whether it's in their family or not. That's, you know, I think most of them want it to continue in their family, but that's not always an option for people. Right. Uh, but the financial perspective and component of it is really, when I look at it, is more of a way for society to kind of show that value for those other elements that we've never paid for. And I don't think we'll probably ever fully compensate landowners for 
the full suite of things and benefits that they provide to to society. And so, uh, and I think that's important for us all to to recognize. You know, and I want to do a, a shout out that 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 concept of charitable intent always came from Bill Silverstein, uh, attorney who we've all worked with over the years, or Larry Keeter. But that was it. I mean, in that you know, those are those things that just resonate with you each time you look at these things. And those folks who laid that groundwork early on, you know, you got to keep teaching people. That's part of the message here, right? There's a great story that Jay Fetcher, um, who helped found Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust in the early 90s as a rancher and steamboat, and he tells the story. You know, they were one of the early adopters of conservation easements, and they did so because of uh, the need to find a way to transition the ranch from Jay's dad to Jay. And when Jay's dad uh, was about to pass, uh, he was uh, put on oxygen and uh, uh, went to hospice. And, and the doctor told, uh, told Jay that his dad couldn't ever go back to the ranch and ranch again. And, and Jay said, told his dad that, and his dad took off the oxygen mask and died within an hour because what it meant to him, the ranching component of this, the stewardship component of the ranch was what gave him life. And mm-hmm. if he couldn't do that, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was time to go. And, and uh, I think when you talk about that charitable intent, Ken, it's about, this is uh, from the heart um, and from the soul of, of these landowners, the vast majority of them. And mm-hmm. uh, I, to have the privilege to engage with these folks uh, in these really deep and meaningful ways is is one of the great uh, honors of my life. And uh, I will always value that and cherish it. Uh, and I, I hope others get that experience too. Right. It's it, it, it knocks away all the subterfuge of nonsense that goes out there sometimes about these issues. When mm-hmm. you take it back to that level, right? I mean, so anyways, don't want to dwell on it, but it really is the it is the redeeming aspect of everything that is done in this regard mm-hmm. beyond the beauty just enjoying the landscapes ourselves because they are protected which is you know why i'm a big proponent as well yeah and i mean that's kind of like why one of the our pillars even at my ranch group is the that kind of conservation side and finding those buyers and helping them leave their legacy so it's cool that partner with people like you eric to to make that a reality for a lot of people Thanks for joining us today. Please stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Ken and Eric next week as we discuss the latest conservation updates and the future of conservation in Colorado and the U.S. I'm Haley Murr, and I made this episode with the help of our head of marketing, Mallory Boyce. Big shout outs to the founder of Murr Ranch Group, Ken Murr, and the executive director of CCALT, Eric Glenn, for being our guests. For more information on Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust and how you can help their cause, go to forevercolorado.com. For more information on the ranch real estate market and other topics relating to ranch ownership, be sure to check out our website, www.murranchgroup.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Land Bulletin Podcast. See you next time.